At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. December 31st, 2019, the Book Podcast with Gil Alexander. Final day of the year, final day of the decade. Happy New Year to you. Something special on today's show, In Between Megapods. Wildcard Megapod coming up later this week. This is a look back at the decade, the years 2010 to 2019, and the best sports betting teams per sport of that decade. Not just teams, but individuals and individual sports. Horses in horse racing. We'll do horse racing, golf, tennis, Premier League soccer, college hoops, college football, and then the four major North American sports, hockey, baseball, the NBA and the NFL, defined by not the most powerful team of the decade as a mainstream media show would do, but by the team that came back from the longest odds either before the season started, mid-season, or maybe even before the postseason to win its respective sport championship. We'll do it with Blake Mahoney of SportsOddsHistory.com, a special Beating the Book podcast, a look back at the best sports teams and stories of the decade. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. Hour number two of a numbers game right here at Visa, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Sirius XM Channel 204, Visa.com, the Visa app, Vobos, Ling and Game Plus. It's Gil Alexander. It's producer number five, Jeff Parlay in the house. Jeff, your dad is here. You nervous? Are you nervous? No. They, they, my, my parents and my girlfriend came in and watched the uh, Marco Watch show on Friday, so I'm good. Yeah, but are you nervous? No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's a two-day special here on a numbers game on a very special episode of a numbers game at VEASAN. Uh, sports betting, we'll call it teams of the decade, but there are horses and individuals involved here. Uh, it's a two-day thing. Tomorrow we will do NHL, Major League Baseball, pro football, and pro basketball. Today we'll do all the rest. We'll even throw college football in today. How about that? So today we're going to do horses, golf, tennis, Premier League. Oh, I know what that one's going to be. 
college basketball and college football. And to help us along, ladies and gentlemen, we couldn't do it without him. It's our old friend from SportsOddsHistory.com, Blake Mahoney. Good morning to you, Blake. Morning. How you doing? I'm doing very well. All right, Blake, let's define this. This is not, you know, you're not your average sports show teams of the decade, right? We're not going to talk about the 73-win Warriors as they might. We're going to talk about the teams that came back from the longest odds, either pre-flop or mid-season or just before the playoffs or whatever, that ended up winning their sports championship in that year. Is that correct, sir? That's right. Yeah, we're looking at uh, sort of the, the uh, biggest bang for your buck uh, uh, long shots. Okay, let's start with horses. I think I think everybody knows where this one's going to go. Right, yeah. So uh, with the Triple Crown uh, races, there really weren't too many long shots. There was actually only one that was 25 to 1 or greater uh, during the decade, and that was this year at the Kentucky Derby with uh, Country House, who was uh, 65 to 1. Named the winner of the race in the most controversial of fashions when Maximum Security, who went under the wire first, was disqualified by Stewart. 65 to 1. Uh, only the second time a winner had been disqualified in the Derby's 145-year history. First time, though, that it happened because of a foul claim during the race. I think in uh, 1968, Dancer's Image uh, was disqualified days after the race because of a drug violation. But this 65 to 1 when maximum security was uh, taken down due to an incident coming around the turn. He veered out slightly, squeezed War of Will, for those who remember it, uh, caused Long Rage Toddy to, to uh, go back. Very controversial, 65 to 1. So, something probably Blake will never see again, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, considering that it's happened so few times, and then for the long shot to be sort of the, the one to, to be sort of the uh, unofficial runner-up and then uh, be declared the winner, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while before we see that again. And I would like to speak for all sports betting aficionados who don't bet horses when I say, here was my reaction at the time. Could someone please explain to me what's going on? <laughs> I had no <laughs> clue whatsoever. I was like, can someone please explain what the rule is? What are you horse people over there? Tell me what the rule, tell me what the rule is. Uh, Blake, by the way, can be followed on Twitter at SO History uh, on Twitter. Once again, sports odds history. All right. So maximum security without question. The horse in terms of betting uh, through, the, through the prism of bets, the horse of the decade. Let's do a little, uh, let's go golf next, shall we? Right. So uh, during the decade, there were five players that were 101 or higher that uh, before the start of the major that went on to win. And only one of those uh, came uh, since uh, 2011. So it, it's been kind of uh, mostly chalk, uh, you know, in the last uh, eight years. So uh, just kind of running down the list, uh, we had uh 2011 Masters with Charles Schwarzschild was uh, 101. Let me jump in. He and won. Then, he won that by two strokes over Jason Day and Adam Scott. 2011 Masters. All right. What's next? Mm-hmm. Next is the the uh, the one that only one that's happened in the last eight years was the 2016 PGA where uh, Jimmy Walker was 125 to one. Uh, 125 to one. Jimmy Walker beating Jason Day again by one stroke. That was that period where Jason Day was runner up in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next is another PGA 2011. Uh, Keegan Bradley was 150 to one. And that was a playoff, wasn't it, against Jason Duffner, if I'm not mistaken? I believe. Uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, next one was uh, to also came in 2011 at the uh, British, uh, where uh, Darren Clark uh, was 150 to one as well. Three stroke lead over both Phil, a uh, three stroke win rather over both Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson in that event. Mm-hmm. And then the British again in 2010, where uh, Louis uh, Oosthuizen uh, was 200 to one. So we are declaring Louis Oosthuizen the golfer from through the betting prism, the golfer of the decade. Is that correct? Yeah, we can go with that. You know, it, I mean, looking back, you know, he, he's obviously had a, a little bit, um, you know, maybe looking back, it's not quite as much of a shock considering how well he's done since then. Um, but yeah, at the time, uh, we we can go with that as, as the... Uh, as the golfer of the uh, of the decade, yeah, with with individual sports, it's a little harder because we're just we have to pick a major specifically, so it's a little more uh, polluted. It's not quite like the teams of the decade. But Oosthuizen won. Oosthuizen right. won that particular event, the uh, 139th Open uh, Championship back in 2010, by seven strokes over Lee Westwood. I didn't remember it being that big of a win, but he destroyed it. Yeah, and, the field in that. In yeah, that yeah, and, yeah, neither did I. Mm-hmm. So now those are all pre-flop in golf. Now, there were many situations mid-tournament, and we don't have to look far back. Mark Leishman, 2015, my buddy E uh, reminds me that in the Open uh, in 2015, Mark Leishman was 175-1 to uh, at one point. He led on the 17th hole Sunday, then he made bogey, lost in the playoffs. So there's a lot of near misses uh, that occur with, with guys uh, you know, midstream. But those, in terms of preflop, those are your golfers of the decade with... Louis Oosthuizen at 200 to 1, the 2010 Open Championship, uh, emerging as the, uh, the longest odds champion in any of golf's majors. Let's talk tennis. Again, talking to Blake Mahoney here of Sports Odds History. Let's do, uh, let's do the men's side first. Right. So on the men's side, you know, I mean, obviously the, the decade was dominated by uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. Uh, so there really wasn't much opportunity for, for other, you know, for these long shots to come in. There were there are only five players overall that were greater than 10 to one that went on to win. Um, but the largest was Marin Cilic at the 2014 U.S. Open, where he was 75 to one. Wow. Marin Cilic, who's still playing, still playing somewhat competitively, mm-hmm. uh, yep. who, who's 31 years of age now. And first of all, it should be mentioned that since Cilic won the U.S. Open in 2014 at those odds, 75 to one preflop. Only Stan Varinka, well, Stan Varinka's won, so there's been 20 majors since then. Excuse me, 30, uh, no, check that. There's been 20, yeah, 20 majors since then. Varinka's won two, Andy Murray's won one. So 17 have have been won by the big three since then. Djokovic, as you point out, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. But to give you an idea how those three guys have dominated the tour, Chilich is the youngest guy, the youngest man on planet Earth to currently say, I have a Grand Slam men's singles title. At the age of 31, he and Del Potro, right. Del Potro's like five days older than him. 31, which means that Federer, and Nadal, and Djokovic have wiped out a generation of tennis players, basically. It's amazing, but Marin Cilic. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're still kind of waiting for the next generation yeah. to, to finally take over. That's amazing to me. 31 years old. Uh, so that was the 2014 uh, U.S. Open, the last major of 2014. Marin mm-hmm. Cilic, 75 to 1 preflop. All right, let's go to the ladies' side. Yep. Uh, so uh, there are a couple, uh, you know, it's a little bit more common for some long shots to come in, but the, the two biggest were uh, Marion Bartoli, a, a French woman, 
who was 100 to 1 uh, in the 2013 Wimbledon. And then the biggest was uh, Flavia Panetta was 151, or I'm sorry, 150 to 1 uh, to win the 2015 U.S. Open. Now, I promise you, we're getting to college basketball and college football and obviously the pro <laughs> sports, and people are going to be like, okay, this I understand. But the, it occurs to me that the two names you just mentioned, there's some people are going to be like, wait, I don't even know who he's talking about. This is actually this right. actually happened, right? Like, So Mary Bartoli, she wins Wimbledon in 2013, she had she had played like forty seven or she had won. She she had the record for the most wins without ever winning a grand slam. I think most tournament wins without ever winning a, a grand slam. She didn't drop a set in that entire tournament. She like avoided Serena Williams that year. She got all the breaks, and she became the first uh, female player um, who participated. Yeah, not the first one, but the, she had participated in most Grand Slam tournaments without ever having won one. Her 47th such Grand Slam tournament, I'm sorry, not the most wins, but the most Grand Slam tournament participating before ever winning one. And she immediately, the next tournament, retired for good. She's like, that's retired. it. Retired, yep. Got my mm-hmm. one. And by the way, Flavia, uh, Flavia Panetta, who, who did it uh, again, what did she win again? She won the, uh, you just said. 2015 yeah, two, U.S. Open. 2015 U.S. Open. And Serena had won all three majors that year. Serena would, in effect, have won the Grand Slam. Flavia Panetta yep. did the same thing. She won the U.S. Open, and she was like, I'm out. I'm done. That's my career. Because <laughs> when you wrote those two names right. down, I was like, I barely remember these people. I would imagine yeah. the listeners wouldn't. All right, let's get to something that people remember uh, in a better way. So, so uh, 150 to 1 for Panetta, 100 to 1 for Bartoli. They would be the women's tennis sports betting long shots uh, of their sport. Let's do Premier League, and I think we're ev- everybody knows where this is going. Right, yeah. Leicester City, 2015-2016 uh, season, 5,001. Uh, you know, kind of changed the, the sort of the way the odds are made. They, they don't make them that large anymore because, uh, you know, it, it, it can happen. You know, they were, the, the year before, they barely avoided uh, relegation, and then they just uh, you know, caught lightning in a bottle and 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 won the whole thing the next year. Now think about what you just said. Leicester City won the 2015-2016 Premier League at 5,000 to 1 odds. The year before, again, almost relegated. They needed to flurry at the end of the year not to be. And we were just talking about all these other sports, golf, tennis. Uh, we were talking about horses. And, and those peaked at like 200 to 1 in the odds we just mentioned. Oostheisen in the Open Championship of 2010. This is 5,000 to 1. Uh, cost Will Hill UK... I think upwards of $3 million, estimated to cost bookmakers across the U.K. over $15 million. And as you said— right, yeah, I remember them. They're trying to pay people out before you know, right. the season was even over to, to negotiate you know, cheaper prices so they, they're, uh, they, they weren't going to lose so much. Yeah, cash-out options available throughout, uh, all formulaic. And you're right, William Hill U.K. said at the time, he said, we'll never post odds higher than one th- longer than 1,000 to 1 in anything ever again after Leicester City mm-hmm. cashed at 5,001. And just to give you a comp, like what else do UK bookmakers, what did they put up at 5,001 odds? Elvis Presley being found alive. That's what happened with Leicester City at 5,001 odds. That might be, by the way, Blake, that might actually be the sports betting team period of the decade once we're all said yeah. and done with this and we have or, to pick one. Yeah, yeah, our entire lives. I, I, I can't see anything ever topping that. Uh, I, I think you might be right on that count. Uh, let's come back. Let's do college basketball and college football, sports betting teams of the decade. We'll do a couple honorable mentions in each sport, 
And then we'll give the sports betting team of the decade, the one that came back from the longest odds, not necessarily pre-flop, but at any point in the season in both college hoops and college uh, football. We'll do that next with Blake Mahoney. Sports betting odds, sports betting teams of the decade on a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. It's, it is a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. A numbers game where sports betting analytics live, actionable sports betting information. That it is uh, December 30th. Uh, just thought to myself, you know, let's do a little decade review. Because we'll, you know, you don't get this chance but once every 10 years. And we've never been able to do it, obviously, on this network. I've never even been able to do it on the podcast. So we brought in our buddy from uh, SportsOddsHistory.com, Blake Mahoney. We've gone through horses, golf, tennis, and Premier League so far. The individuals, the horse, the team uh, of the decade in terms of what of those came back from the longest odds, either before a season started, before a race started, before a tournament started, to get the prize in what it was a golf major, a tennis major, or in the case of a horse racing, the triple crown races, obviously Premier League, the entire Premier League uh, title. By the way, Leicester City won that year with 81 points, 10-point win over Arsenal, who was in second place. Just a, uh, just an aberration, 5,001. And as we discussed, we'll never see that again. Maybe the sports team of the decade. Let's get to the more familiar sports, though. Blake, let's go to this side of the pond. Uh, we'll do college basketball first. How about some honorable mentions? Right. So first, we'll go with 2015-2016 uh, uh, Villanova. They were 25-1 uh, to 1 during the preseason, and they never really dipped below 10-1 uh, to 1, uh, until, they, until the uh, Elite Eight round. And that was, for those who are like, which Villanova team was that? That was, uh, that was Chris Jenkins with a three-pointer against North Carolina. And I was thinking about this, mm-hmm. uh, about this, Jeff. I was like, where you know, you remember where you were when you watch all these championship games? And I was like, wow, that's 2015, 2016. Seems ages ago to me. But that was obviously uh, Chris Jenkins who went to Gonzaga High in D.C., as a matter of fact, playing uh, in Europe these days. That that Villanova team was really good during the regular season. I would imagine those odds never really moved because no one no one bet them because they had years of just anguish in the tournament before they finally broke through and won it. Yeah, twenty five to one though at their peak, as uh, Blake was just saying during the preseason. What's another honorable mention? Right. So uh, quickly, the the other Villanova team that won, they were actually twenty seven to one during the uh, during the preseason, so a little bit higher, but they they were the betting favorite by the time they, they entered the, uh, the tournament. So that's why I put the, uh, the 2016 version, uh, a little bit higher. Oh, okay. So, so the 2017, 2018 Villanova team, 27 to one. Uh, and that was the team that crushed everybody in the tournament, right? They just Mm -hmm. destroyed everybody by double digits. They had no scares in that entire tournament, but, and you put them second just because why again, explain. Oh, uh, just because uh, you know the the 2016 term uh, team was uh, you know they kind of flew under the radar and and they were 15 to one entering the tournament. Okay. Uh, while the, you know the 2018 team was was the betting favorite to win it all during uh, entering the tournament. Makes sense. All right, one more honorable mention before we name the team of the decade. Right. So 2011 or 2010, 2011, UConn, they were 40 to one during the preseason. Uh, they went 26 to nine during the regular season and, and then were 25 to one entering the tournament as the three seed. 
and that was the Kemba Walker UConn team, which I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, yep. weren't they like five, Jeff? You'll tell me, weren't they like 500 during the Big East season? They were like nine and nine or something like that, and then they went on this. Kemba just went on this unbelievable run in the Big East tournament, and then obviously in the March Madness. Big dance as well. Nine and nine Big East regular season, five wins in five days. Remember, that was the 16-team Big East still. Phenomenal. They were the nine seed in that tournament. Uh, That obviously, that Big East tournament known for when Kemba Walker ended Gary McGee's life on that crossover at the end of the the, (laughs) uh, at the end of the uh, the third game, that one versus nine, and uh, the Big East final between UConn and Louisville. UConn won despite Kemba getting in early foul trouble. That game really flipped the entire NCAA tournament because UConn got the three seed. They made they win it all. Louisville, if you remember, lost to Kenneth Farid and Moorhead State that year in the first round. Yeah, and UConn, the Kemba version of UConn that year again, because I think I know what's coming uh, with, the, with the college basketball team of the decade. But the Kemba version, Kentucky, that's who they beat in the semis by a point, 56-55. Then they beat Butler by a dozen in the finals. Horrible game. Horrible game. Horrible game. What is your, like, I can't even think of a memory from that game. It would, uh, well, Butler, Butler shot 19% yeah. in that game. It was, well, was horrendous. All right, Blake, college basketball team of the decade will be, I know it's coming. Right. So you you already call it uh, 2013, 2014, UConn was 70 to one in in the preseason and actually higher. uh, They were 95 to one entering the uh, tournament to to win it all. And that was the Shabazz Napier version, as I like to call it, of UConn. Now, whenever, before March Madness every year, and I don't know if you've been with me, Jeff, when I do this, but I do a, uh, I do a college basketball March Madness formula. People who listen to a numbers game and have listened to the podcast at Beating the Book before know that I do this. And you basically what it is is I go through, here are the six criteria that every eventual national champion in college basketball has to their name. And it's like, you know, oh, they rank 20th in offensive adjusted efficiency in Ken Baum, uh, offense, top 20 defensive efficiency. There's all these different stats that I put into it. And it has called up, every champion has had all of these characteristics except one. Every exception is this team that Blake's talking about. The Shabazz Napier version of, of UConn, the, not to uh, contrast them with the Kemba Walker UConn champion. The Shabazz Napier UConn champs. Remember, they were a, a, were they an eight seed? They, they, were, they were a seven. They were seven. They seven. beat eight seed Kentucky yep. in the finals, which was the Julius Randle Kentucky team. But like they were the exception of everything, right? So it was the Kevin Ollie coached UConn team. It wasn't even... Um, it, it was it was a different version of UConn. They you know they didn't have Sweet Sixteen experience. That was one of the criterion for all champions. They weren't um, you know they weren't th- they didn't have at least three wins versus teams in the top ten percent of strength of schedule. Excuse me of RPI. That was another exception of that team. Um, they weren't in, as I said top twenty adjusted offensive or top twenty adjusted defensive efficiency. So that team was clearly the outlier of all outliers. And that team should have lost in the round of 64 to St. Joseph's. Amita Brima had a three-point play in the last minute of regulation of that game. Made the free throw as a 52% free throw shooter. UConn won the game in overtime. Then I think it was Villanova, Iowa State, Michigan State. Um, I don't remember who they beat. Oh, Florida. Florida. Number one overall seed, Florida, who they destroyed after falling down double digits in the first half. And then that game against Kentucky. Yeah. Nine seed versus eight seed in the finals. 
or seven, seven, seven seed versus still still pretty good. Still amazing. I mean, You're, it just doesn't happen. Still pretty good. But that game against St. Joseph, 89-81 in overtime. They were done. They were done. They were down. They were down five in the last minute of regulation. And by game. the way, the NC State in '83, the Jim Valvano team that won it all, they too had a near miss. I mean, there's a lot of near misses along the way. Blake, you were about to say something. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, uh, UConn was only favored in two of the, the their tournament games. I mean, they they just and then ended up winning each game by five or more points. So it was, uh, uh, you know, just kind of a Jeez. unlikely path to the. Yeah, the championship, the 2013-2014 UConn Huskies, your sports betting college basketball team of the decade. By the way, that, is, that doesn't mean they're the team of destiny like Virginia was last year, because I'll still contend that the way UVA won those games last year uh, in the tournament still made them the team of the decade, especially after not not team of the decade, but the team of destiny, especially after how, how they lost to UMBC, uh, 16 seed UMBC the previous year. Team of destiny, but not sports betting team of the decade. That would be 2013-2014 UConn. Let's do college football to wrap it up today. We'll save all the four uh, professional major sports for tomorrow. Blake, what do you got honorable mention in college football? Right, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but uh, this year's LSU team closed at 25-1 to to win the national championship, uh, but obviously a little too early to... Uh, to put them on the list, but they but they'd be in the conversation, and people have them at higher than twenty five to one. I'm sure, in many spots. Maybe yeah, I think they yeah they opened at fifty to one, but they closed it at twenty five to one. Okay. Honorable mention uh, so, besides them, right? Uh, 2013 Florida State. They were sixteen to one to win it all before the start of the season, and they were ranked number eleven in the preseason poll. And that's the Jameis Winston Florida State Seminoles of twenty uh, of twenty thirteen who beat Auburn yep. by a field goal in the championship, the BCS championship, right? Jeff, you remember that game? Right, yeah. That, that was Winston to Kelvin Benjamin to win yes. the game at the end of the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy five minutes. There were four lead changes in the final five minutes of the game. Yeah, what, it's, it's really, that game was unbelievable at the end. Um, Seminoles win it 34-31 to 31 over Auburn in 2013. Uh, Florida State got a field goal on their uh, uh, was uh, I want to get the last sequence of that game Um, because in the fourth quarter Florida State scored a touchdown early to make it a one point game after Auburn made a field goal uh, Kermit Whitfield returned the following kickoff 100 yards you remember that to give the Seminoles a three point lead Auburn answers with a touchdown to go up by four with just over a minute remaining and then on their final drive seven plays Florida State as we mentioned with 13 seconds remaining a 49 yard completion to Rashad Green from Jameis and then Jameis to Kelvin Benjamin for the game winner Seminoles uh, what was their peak again in the odds that year? Uh, 16 to one, uh, that was the preseason and they kind of fell throughout the, the season. They didn't go up any higher than that. Okay. Two yard touchdown best to Kelvin Benjamin, excuse me, with 13 seconds left. All right. There one honorable mention. What's the other honorable mention you got? Uh, 2010 Auburn, they were 50 to one in the preseason. Uh, that was the, uh, Cam Newton. Uh, he was the junior transfer and they were, they had a preseason rank of number 22. And what I recall most from that is we just didn't, Blake, we just didn't get how good Cam Newton would be, right? Like, we just didn't know. We heard about Cam Newton, but we had no clue that he would be that dominant. And that championship game against Oregon, which they won by a field goal, in contrast to Florida State, because Florida State in 2013, before that championship game, they murdered everybody that year, right? They crushed everybody. Whereas Auburn right, had like yeah, and, yeah four field goal or like four games of a field goal or less that they won. 
Right, yeah, including the national championship, five of their uh, games were won by three points or less. All right, so 2013 Florida State, 2010 Auburn. Who is the college football betting team of the decade, sir? So I'm giving this one to 2014 Ohio State. Uh, they initially opened up at 10 to 1, but uh, senior QB uh, Braxton Miller, who was a Heisman uh, contender, he uh, injured his shoulder in uh, training camp. So they had to uh, go with uh, redshirt freshman JT Barrett, and they moved all the way up to 40 to 1 before the start of the season. Um, before the start of the, uh, the uh, playoff, or no. During the, well, before the start of the season, they were forty to one at their peak. What were they before? Mid- right. Yeah. Okay. So wait, but you so, said Auburn yeah, then, was fifty to one. So why do you give it to Ohio State? Right. So I'm giving it to Ohio State just because uh, even th- throughout the year they were uh, they were never below uh, ten to one. Even entering the uh, the college football playoff, they were fifteen to one. Uh, they they were an underdog even entering the conference championship to Wisconsin. Uh, and they ended up winning that 59 to zero. I like that call. So, I think I, you're right. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm just giving it to them just because they were, they were never really uh, considered the favorite where Auburn, you know, kind of moved up the ranks. But, I love it. You know, you could have had Ohio state and Ohio state also lost in week two to uh, Virginia tech and they moved. They were That's still right. 40 to one at that point. That's so. right. They lost by two touchdowns to Vatek. And then, of course, the person we're not mentioning here is Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones, who had the three-game spectacular that, remember, led people to say after that, hey, man, like, he could be a top three pick in the draft. Remember how people were like, oh, my God, he could be drafted right at the top. Of the day. He elected to stay, I believe. Uh, ended up where the Bills camp and the Chargers camp uh, for a while. But they beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship 59 to nothing. And then they were dogs against Bama, beat Bama by a touchdown in a game that wasn't really as close. I mean, they were up by more than that. Uh, Zeke just ran all over Alabama in that game. And then they beat Oregon uh, in the finals. That was more comfortable, 42 to 20. Um, Right. But even then, they were still a five and a half point underdog in that game. Right. Still a dog all the way through the end. I think you're right. That is the college football. Sports betting team of the decade. That's great stuff, Blake. I appreciate it. How about we take a break here? We'll come back tomorrow. We'll do the four uh, major uh, professional sports. We'll do hockey. We'll do baseball. We'll do the NBA and the NFL tomorrow. We're good? We, we, lost, oh, we lost Blake there. I think we lost him for a second. We heard his voice. Oh, yeah, there he is. Blake Mahoney from Sports Odds yeah. History at SO History. Talk to you tomorrow, Blake, okay? All right. Sounds good. All right, Thanks. man. Thanks so much. Interesting. Uh, we'll come back. We'll uh, put a little more stuff in perspective uh, beyond that with the sports betting teams of the decade. And we'll talk about today's college football games. I guess we're contractually obligated to talk about this dreck, Jeff, coming up today. Right here on A Numbers Game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Still plenty of college bowl action left, by the way, this week. The VEASAN College Bowl Guide now available for just $5. Five United States dollars, Jeff. Get stats, trends, and analysis for the remaining games, along with best bets from 10 VEASAN experts, including Paulie Howard, Michael Lombardi, Mitch Moss, Dave Tooley, Matt Humans. Huh, not listed here. Producer number five, Jeff Parlay. What's your record, Jeff? Five and two. Five and two. Hilltoppers get it done this afternoon. We'll clinch it over 500 in that. Yeah, you got the Hilltoppers? Uh, I'm in Futac. I'm at collegefootballnews.com, because apparently they didn't ask me here. 
Um, so I'm in uh, that with a bunch of experts uh, throughout the nation who write college football blogs. I'm 13 and 7 ATS. They uh, assign the games to us. Don't forget also in the VEASAN College Bowl Guide, Brent Musburger, Steve Mackinnon, they offer an opinion on every side in total. Find out why it's VEASAN's most popular betting guide. Details at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. That's VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Just $5 now. With uh, four bowl games today, we'll get to those uh, momentarily. I just wanted to comment uh, before we get off the uh, sports betting teams of the decade there. And nice job from Blake Mahoney going through all those all those sports. But there's other things to talk about, clearly, that happened sports betting-wise this decade. And maybe the single most important day of all of them, Jeff, was May 14th, 2018. Um, I was sitting here with producer number three, Jorge Mondaca. May he rest in peace, by the way. Um, Jorge and I were here and we had this thing every morning because we get on the air at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. And because we happen to be on air at that time, that's when the Supreme Court decides to announce decisions on cases that have gotten all the way up to the highest court of this land. And so there are certain days that they have signed on the calendar and we knew that the sports betting case was on the docket or really the case about PASPA. Um, and so there were several dates during January and February and March and April, and we basically had to prepare for two shows that morning, the show we were going to do on a normal day, and then the show that we would have to do if, in fact, the Supreme Court decided, hey, we're ready to announce our decision on this. And May 14th, 2018 was that day uh, where the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 to three decision, which did not really fall on partisan lines, by the way. Uh, that the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA, uh, was unconstitutional. PASPA had been passed in 1992, had served as a blanket prohibition on state-sponsored sports betting, save for a few states, obviously Nevada being one of them, uh, that were grandfathered in under the previous, uh, previous allowances of that. But that was May 14th, 2018, and that has changed the way that we do our shows, the way that we talk about things, because obviously now 20-plus states have some form of sports betting going on, and there will only be more added. California, for instance, a big one to drop at some point in the future. But uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, sports betting all over the land. And so when we're here, we're talking about things in New Jersey. We're talking about things in Mississippi, all over the country. Um, so that was that was obviously maybe the single biggest day when it comes to sports betting this decade. I think Leicester City, which we talked about with the Premier League, I think that would, of all the teams in any sport, that's probably the biggest sports betting story of any team, Leicester City, 2015-2016 uh, Premier League, globally speaking. And there's some other, I mean, then, then the obvious other one here, I think, in this country, and really the thing we got the most mileage out of at any stretch of time here on VEASAN was obviously Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, the odds opened for that fight, uh, Floyd Mayweather was, I think he was a minus 2,500 favorite um, at the Superbook. I want to say it was minus 2,700 here at the South Point. And uh, Conor McGregor was plus 1,100 coming back in both cases. That was at the beginning. And it kept crashing and crashing and crashing. And this is over weeks and months even. And... The closer the fight got, we couldn't believe that it kept going down. And I remember having Jimmy Vaccaro on the show and, and saying to him, he's like, what are you waiting for, kid? When are you getting in? I said, I'm waiting for Mayweather to get to minus 500. If he gets to minus 500, I'm in. I remember it dipped to minus 550 there for a second, then jumped back up to minus 600. I was like, ah, maybe I got too greedy. 
Nope, didn't get too greedy. Got to minus 500, even got into the minus 400s here around town. And offshore, even south of minus 400. Pinnacle, I believe, closed at minus 375 on Floyd Mayweather. And it remains to this day, I said Saturday, uh, being very honest, Saturday was the biggest single betting day of my life this past Saturday. I'm verklempt even talking about it. Uh, But as far as one single event was the most money I've ever bet on one single event, it will always probably remain Floyd Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And I remember, and it was one of those things where you, where a lot of people in town would go to a bank and withdraw money, and the teller would say to you, would be like, <laughs> be like, and you would say to the, you'd be like, yeah, I'll have this money back on Monday. Why are you taking all this money? I'll, I'll have it back on Monday. Don't worry. And then when the night of the fight actually got here, and people who were, uh, who, I, mean, I was at, I was at Teddy Cover's house. Teddy Cover's had a, had a viewing party that night. Shout out to Teddy and his son, the great basketball playing Isaiah. Uh, but we we're at Teddy Cover's house, and when you have that much going on an event. And this speaks for so many of us. Then when it starts, you start, you're like, okay, this is boxing. What have I done? (laughs) What what have I gotten myself into? And Conor McGregor for the first three rounds kind of wins all three of those rounds. And even though you know Floyd could probably figure this out, you got, there's a little bit of you was like, what's happening here? And then once Floyd figured, you know, once Floyd decided to do his thing, it was over and in a dominant fashion. But that, I mean, if you talk about Leicester City team of the decade, PASPA that day, being the single biggest impactful day. But there will never be anything like Mayweather-McGregor again because it was this unbelievable MMA money, the MMA people banking on Connor, and all this Irish money in town. It was an amazing weekend. Jeff, you were leaning in. You want to say something? No, I have, I have nothing to add other than other than that was the that and the Nationals this year probably were the two biggest successes in a way a line came to a position that I liked as well. Well, the Nationals here on a numbers game, we said it. I, I said repeatedly, and I'd never say this about anything else, it was your obligation to bet the Washington Nationals. If you are doing this correctly. Uh, check it out now. Uh, no doubt now. December 31st, 2019, the Book Podcast with Gil Alexander. Final day of the year, final day of the decade. Happy New Year to you. Something special on today's show, in between Megapods, wildcard Megapod coming up later this week. This is a look back at the decade, the years 2010 to 2019, and the best sports betting teams per sport of that decade. Not just teams, but individuals and individual sports, horses, in horse racing. We'll do horse racing, golf, tennis, Premier League soccer, college hoops, college football, and then the four major North American sports, hockey, baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. Defined by, not the most powerful team of the decade as a mainstream media show would do, but by the team that came back from the longest odds either before the season started, mid-season, or maybe even before the postseason to win its respective sport championship. We'll do it with Blake Mahoney of SportsOddsHistory.com, a special Beating the Book podcast, a look back at the best sports teams and stories of the decade. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. 
Hour number two of a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Sirius XM Channel 204, VEASAN.com, the VEASAN app, Vobo, Sling and Game Plus. It's Gil Alexander. It's producer number five, Jeff Parlay in the house. Jeff, your dad is here. You nervous? Are you nervous? No. They, they, my, my parents and my girlfriend came in and watched the uh, Marco Watch show on Friday, so I'm good. Yeah, but are you nervous? No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's a two-day special here on A Numbers Game on a very special episode of A Numbers Game at VEASAN. Uh, sports betting, we call it teams of the decade, but there are horses and individuals involved here. Uh, it's a two-day thing. Tomorrow we will do NHL, Major League Baseball, pro football, and pro basketball. Today we'll do all the rest. We'll even throw college football in today. How about that? So today we're going to do horses, golf, tennis, Premier League. Oh, I know what that one's going to be. College basketball and college football. And to help us along, ladies and gentlemen, we couldn't do it without him. It's our old friend from SportsOddsHistory.com, Blake Mahoney. Good morning to you, Blake. Morning. How you doing? I'm doing very well. All right, Blake, let's define this. This is... Not, you know, you're not your average sports show teams of the decade, right? We're not going to talk about the 73-win Warriors as they might. We're going to talk about the teams that came back from the longest odds, either pre-flop or mid-season or just before the playoffs or whatever, that ended up winning their sports championship in that year. Is that correct, sir? That's right, yeah. We're looking at uh, sort of the, the uh, biggest bang for your buck uh, uh, long shots. Okay, let's start with horses. I think I think everybody knows where this one's going to go. Right, yeah. So uh, with the Triple Crown uh, races, there really weren't too many long shots. There was actually only one that was 25 to 1 or greater uh, during the decade, and that was this year at the Kentucky Derby with uh, Country House, who was uh, 65 to 1. Named the winner of the race in the most controversial of fashions when Maximum Security, who went under the wire first was disqualified by Stewart, 65-1. to one. Uh, Only the second time a winner had been disqualified in the Derby's 145-year history. First time, though, that it happened because of a foul claim during the race. I think in uh, 1968, Dancer's Image uh, was disqualified days after the race because of a drug violation. But this, 65-1, to one, when maximum security was uh, taken down due to an incident coming around the turn, he veered out slightly, squeezed War of Will... For those who remember it, uh, caused Long Rage Toddy to, to uh, go back. Very controversial, 65 to 1. So, something probably Blake will never see again, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, considering that it's happened so few times, and then for the long shot to be sort of the, the one to, to be sort of the uh, unofficial runner-up and then uh, be declared the winner, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while before we see that again. And I would like to speak for all sports betting aficionados who don't bet horses when I say, here was my reaction at the time. Could someone please explain to me what's going on? <laughs> I had no <laughs> clue whatsoever. I was like, can someone please explain what the rule is? What are you horse people over there? Right. Tell, me what the rule, tell me what the rule is. Uh, Blake, by the way, can be followed on Twitter at SO History uh, on Twitter. Once again, sports odds history. All right. So maximum security without question. The horse in terms of betting uh, through, the, through the prism of bets, the horse of the decade. Let's do a little, uh, let's go golf next, shall we? Right. So uh, during the decade, there were five players that were 101 or higher that uh, before the start of the major that went on to win. And only one of those uh, came uh, since uh, 2011. So it, it's been kind of uh, mostly chalk uh, 
you know, in the last uh, eight years. So uh, just kind of running down the list, uh, we had uh, 2011 Masters with Charles Schwarzschild was uh, 101. Let me jump in. He won, then, he won that by two strokes over Jason Day and Adam Scott, 2011 Masters. All right, what's next? Mm-hmm. Next is the the uh, the one that only one that's happened in the last eight years was the 2016 PGA where uh, Jimmy Walker was 125 to one. Uh, 125 to one. Jimmy Walker beating Jason Day again by one stroke. That was that period where Jason Day was runner up in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next is another PGA 2011. Uh, Keegan Bradley was 150 to one. And that was a playoff, wasn't it, against Jason Duffner, if I'm not mistaken? I believe. Uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one was uh, to, also came in 2011 at the uh, British, uh, where uh, Darren Clark uh, was 150 to one as well. Three stroke lead over both Phil, a uh, three stroke win rather over both Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson in that event. Mm-hmm. And then the British again in 2010, where uh, Louis uh, Oosthuizen uh, was 200 to one. So we are declaring Louis Oosthuizen the golfer from through the betting prism, the golfer of the decade. Is that correct? Yeah, we can go with that. You know, I mean, looking back, you know, he's obviously had a, a little bit, um, you know, maybe looking back, it's not quite as much of a shock considering how well he's done since then. Um, but yeah, at the time, uh, we, we can go with that as, as the, uh, as the golfer of the, uh, of the decade. Yeah. With, with individual sports it's a little harder cause we're just, we have to pick a major specifically. So it's a little more, uh, polluted. It's not quite like the teams of the decade, but Oosthuizen won, Oosthuizen right. won that particular event, the uh, 139th open uh, championship back in 2010 by seven strokes over Lee Westwood. I didn't remember it being that big of a win. But he destroyed it yeah, and, the field in that. In yeah, that yeah, and, yeah, neither did I. Mm-hmm. So now those are all pre-flop in golf. Now there were many situations mid-tournament, and we don't have to look far back. Mark Leishman, 2015. My buddy E rem, uh, reminds me that in the Open uh, in 2015, Mark Leishman was 175 to one. Uh, at one point, he led on the 17th hole Sunday. Then he made bogey, lost in the playoffs. So there's a lot of near misses. Uh, that occur with with guys, uh, you know, midstream. But those, in terms of the preflop, those are your golfers of the decade. With Louis Oosthuizen at two hundred to one, the twenty ten Open Championship, uh, emerging as the uh, the longest odds champion in any of golf's majors. Let's talk tennis again. Talking to Blake Mahoney here, sports odds history. Let's do uh, let's do the men's side first. Right. So on the men's side, you know, I mean, obviously the the decade was dominated by uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. Uh, so there really wasn't much opportunity for, for other, you know, for these long shots to come in. There were, there were only five players overall that were greater than 10 to one that went on to win. Um, but the largest was Marin Cilic at the 2014 U.S. Open, where he was 75 to one. Wow. Marin Cilic, who's still playing, still playing somewhat competitively, mm-hmm. uh, yep. who, who's 31 years of age now. And first of all, it should be mentioned that since... Chilich won the U.S. Open in 2014 at those odds, 75 to one pre-flop. Only Stan Varinka, well, Stan Varinka's won. So there's been 20 majors since then. Excuse me, 30. Uh, no, sc- check that. There's been 20 yet, yeah, 20 majors since then. Varinka's won right. two. Andy Murray's won one. So 17 have win have been won by the big three since then. Djokovic, as you point out, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. 
But to yep. give you an idea how those three guys have dominated the tour, Chilich is the youngest guy, the youngest man on planet Earth to currently say, I have a Grand Slam men's singles title. At the age of 31, he and Del Potro, right. Del Potro's like five days older than him. 31, which means that Federer and Nadal and Djokovic have wiped out a generation of tennis players, basically. It's amazing, but Marin Cilic. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're still kind of waiting for the next generation yeah. to finally take over. That's amazing to me. 31 years old. Uh, so that was the 2014 uh, U.S. Open, the last major of 2014. Marin mm-hmm. Cilic, 75-1 to 1 preflop. All right, let's go to the ladies' side. Yep. Uh, so, uh, there are a couple, uh, you know, it's a little bit more common for some long shots to come in, but the, the two biggest were, uh, Marion Bartoli, a, a French woman who was 100 to one, uh, in the 2013 Wimbledon. And then the biggest was, uh, Flavia Panetta was 151 or I'm sorry, 150 to one, uh, to win the 2015 U S open. Now I promise you we're getting to college basketball and college football and obviously the pro <laughs> sports and people are going to be like, okay, this, I understand. But the, it occurs to me that the two names you just mentioned, there's some people are going to be like, wait, I don't even know who he's talking about. This is actually, this right. actually happened, right? Like, so Mary Bartoli, she wins Wimbledon in 2013 she had she had played like 47 or she had won she she had the record for the most wins without ever winning a grand slam i think most tournament wins without ever winning a, a grand slam she didn't drop a set in that entire tournament she like avoided serena williams that year she got all the breaks and she became the first uh, female player um, who participated, yeah, not the first one, but the, she had participated in most Grand Slam tournaments without ever having won one, her 47th such Grand Slam tournament. I'm sorry, not the most wins, but the most Grand Slam tournament participating before ever winning one. And she immediately, the next tournament, retired for good. She's like, that's retired, it. Retired, yep. Got my mm-hmm. one. And by the way, Flavia, uh, Flavia Panetta, who, who did it uh, again, what did she win again? She won the, uh, you just said. 2015 yeah, U.S. Two, Open. 2015 U.S. Open. And Serena had won all three majors that year. Serena would, in effect, have won the Grand Slam. Flavia Panetta did the same thing. She won the U.S. Open, and she was like, I'm out. I'm done. That's my career. (laughs) Because when you wrote those two names down, I was like, I barely remember these people. I would imagine the listeners wouldn't. All right, let's get to something that people remember uh, in a better way. So so, uh, 150 to 1 for Panetta, 100 to 1 for Bartoli. They would be the women's tennis sports betting long shots uh, of their sport. Let's do Premier League, and I think we're, everybody knows where this is going. Right, yeah. Leicester City, 2015-2016 uh, season, 5,001, uh, you know, kind of changed the, the sort of the way the odds are made. They, they don't make them that large anymore because, uh, you know, it, it, it can happen. You know, they were, the, the year before, they barely avoided uh, relegation, and then they just uh, you know, caught lightning in a bottle and, and and won the whole thing the next year. Now think about what you just said. Leicester City won the 2015-2016 Premier League at 5,000 to 1 odds. The year before, again, almost relegated. They needed to flurry at the end of the year not to be. And we were just talking about all these other sports, golf, tennis. Uh, we were talking about horses. And, and those peaked at like 200 to 1 in the odds we just mentioned. Oostheisen in the Open Championship of 2010. This is 5,000 to 1. Uh, cost Will Hill UK... I think upwards of three million estimated to cost bookmakers across the UK over fifteen million, and as you said, right, yeah, I remember them. They're trying to pay people out before you know, right. the season was even over to to negotiate, you know, cheaper prices. So they 
they're uh, they they weren't going to lose so much. Yeah, cash out options available throughout. Uh, all formulaic, and you're right. William Hill UK said at the time, "said we'll never post odds higher than one, th- longer than one thousand to one in anything ever again." After Leicester City mm-hmm. cashed at five thousand to one, and just to give you a comp, like what else do UK bookmakers? What did they put up at five thousand to one odds? Elvis Presley being found alive. That's what happened with Leicester City at five thousand to one odds. That might be, by the way, Blake. That might actually be the sports betting team period of the decade. Once we're all set yeah, and done with this, and we have our, to pick one, yeah, yeah, our entire lives. I, I, I can't see anything ever topping that. Uh, I, I think you might be right on that count. Uh, let's come back. Let's do college basketball and college football sports betting teams of the decade. We'll do a couple honorable mentions in each sport. And then we'll give the sports betting team of the decade the one that came back from the longest odds, not necessarily pre-flop, but at any point in the season in both college hoops and college uh, football. We'll do that next with Blake Mahoney. Sports betting odds, sports betting teams of the decade on a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the sports betting network. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. It is a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the sports betting network. A numbers game where sports betting analytics live, actionable sports betting information. That it is uh, December 30th. Uh, just thought to myself, you know, let's do a little decade review. So we'll, you know, you don't get this chance, but once every 10 years. And we've never been able to do it, obviously, on this network. I've never even been able to do it on the podcast. So we brought in our buddy from uh, SportsOddsHistory.com, Blake Mahoney. We've gone through horses, golf, tennis, and Premier League so far. The individuals, the horse, the team. Uh, of the decade in terms of what of those came back from the longest odds, either before a season started, before a race started, before a tournament started, to get the prize in what was a golf major, a tennis major, or in the case of a horse racing, the triple crown races, obviously Premier League, the entire Premier League uh, title. By the way, Leicester City won that year with 81 points, 10-point win over Arsenal, who was in second place. Just a, uh, just an aberration, 5,000 to 1. And as we discussed, we'll never see that again. Maybe the sports team of the decade. Let's get to the more familiar sports, though. Blake, let's go to this side of the pond. Uh, we'll do college basketball first. How about some honorable mentions? Right. So first, we'll go with 2015-2016 uh, uh, Villanova. They were 25-1 uh, to 1 during the preseason. And they never really dipped below uh, 10 to 1 uh, until, they, until the uh, Elite Eight round. And that was, for those who are like, which Villanova team was that? That was, uh, that was Chris Jenkins with a three-pointer against North Carolina. And I was thinking about this, mm-hmm. about this, Jeff. I was like, where you know, you remember where you were when you watched all these championship games? And I was like, wow, that's 2015, 2016. Seems ages ago to me. But that was obviously uh, Chris Jenkins who went to Gonzaga High in D.C., as a matter of fact, playing uh, in Europe these days. That that Villanova team was really good during the regular season. I would imagine those odds never really moved because no one no one bet them because they had years of just anguish in the tournament before they finally broke through and won it. Yeah, twenty five to one though at their peak, as uh, Blake was just saying during the preseason. What's another honorable mention? Right. So uh, quickly, the the other Villanova team that won, they were actually twenty seven to one during the uh, during the preseason, so a little bit higher, but they they were the betting favorite by the time they, they entered the, uh, the tournament. So that's why I put the, uh, the 2016 version, uh, a little bit higher. Oh, okay. So, so the 2017, 2018 Villanova team, 27 to one. Uh, and that was the team that crushed everybody in the tournament, right? 
They just mm-hmm. destroyed everybody by double digits. They had no scares in that entire tournament. But And you put them second just because why again? Explain. Oh, uh, just because, uh, you know, the, the 2016 term, uh, team was, uh, you know, they kind of flew under the radar and, and they were 15 to one entering the tournament. Okay. Uh, while, the, you know, the 2018 team was, was the betting favorite to win it all during uh, entering the tournament. Makes sense. All right. One more honorable mention yeah. before we name the team of the decade. Right. So 2011 or 2010, 2011, UConn, they were 40 to one during the preseason. Uh, they went 26 and nine during the regular season and, and then were 25 to one entering the tournament as the three seed. And that was the Kemba Walker UConn team, which I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep. Weren't they like five, Jeff, you'll tell me, weren't they like 500 during the big East season? They were like nine and nine or something like that. And then they went on this Kemba just went on this unbelievable run in the big East tournament. And then obviously in the March madness, big dance as well. Nine and nine big East regular season, five wins in five days. Remember that was the oh. 16 team big East. Phenomenal. Still. They were the nine seed in that tournament. Uh, that obviously, that Big East tournament known for when Kemba Walker ended Gary McGee's life on that crossover at yes. the end of the, the, <laughs> yes, uh, he did. At the, end of the, uh, the third game, that one versus nine. And uh, the Big East final between UConn and Louisville, UConn won despite Kemba ha- getting an early foul trouble. That game really flipped the entire NCAA tournament because yeah. UConn got the three seed. They made, they win it all. Louisville, if you remember, lost to Kenneth Fareed and Moorhead State that year in the first round. Yeah, and UConn, the Kemba version of UConn that year again, because I think I know what's coming uh, with, the, with the college basketball team of the decade. But the Kemba version, Kentucky, that's who they beat in the semis by a point, 56-55. Then they beat Butler by a dozen in the finals. Horrible game. Horrible game. Horrible game. What is your, like, I can't even think of a memory from that game. It would, uh, well, Butler, Butler shot 19% yeah. in that game. It was, it well, was horrendous. Yeah. All right, Blake, college basketball team of the decade will be, I know what's coming. Right. So you, you already call it uh 2013, 2014, UConn was 70 to one in, in the preseason and actually higher. Uh, they were 95 to one entering the uh, tournament to, to win it all. And that was the Shabazz Napier version, as I like to call it, of UConn. Now, whenever, before March Madness every year, and I don't know if you've been with me, Jeff, when I do this, but I do a, uh, I do a college basketball March Madness formula. People who listen to a numbers game and have listened to the podcast at Beating the Book before know that I do this. And you basically what it is is I go through, here are the six criteria that every eventual national champion in college basketball has to their name. And it's like, you know, oh, they rank 20th in offensive adjusted efficiency in Ken Baum, uh, offense, top 20 defensive efficiency. There's all these different stats they put into it. And it has called up, every champion has had all of these characteristics. Except one. Every exception is this team that Blake's talking about. The Shabazz Napier version of of UConn, the, not to uh, contrast them with the Kemba Walker UConn champion, the Shabazz Napier UConn champs. Remember, they were an were they an eight seed? They were they were seven. They were seven. They seven. beat eight seed Kentucky yep. in the finals, which was the Julius Randle Kentucky team. But like they were the exception of everything, right? So it was the Kevin Ollie coached UConn team. It wasn't even um, it, it was it was a different version of UConn. They, you know, they didn't have Sweet 16 experience. That was one of the criterion for all champions. They weren't, um, you know, they weren't, they didn't have at least three wins versus teams in the top 10% of strength of schedule, excuse me, of RPI. That was another exception to that team. 
Um, they weren't, in, as I said, top 20 adjusted offensive or top 20 adjusted defensive efficiency. So that team was clearly the outlier of all outliers. And that team should have lost in the round of 64 to St. Joseph's. Amita Brima had a three-point play in the last minute of regulation of that game. Made the free throws a 52% free throw shooter. UConn won the game in overtime. Then I think it was Villanova, Iowa State, Michigan State. Um, I don't remember who they beat. Oh, Florida. Florida. Number one overall seed, Florida, who they destroyed after falling down double digits in the first half. And then that game against Kentucky. Yeah. Nine seed versus eight seed in the finals. Or seven, seven, seven seed versus still, Still pretty good. Still amazing. I mean, You're, it just doesn't happen. Still pretty good. But that game against St. Joseph, 89-81 in overtime. They were done. They were done. They were down. They were down five in the last minute of regulation. In that by the game. way, the NC State in '83, the Jim Valvano team that won it all, they too had a near miss. I mean, there's a lot of near misses along the way. Blake, you were about to say something. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, uh, UConn was only favored in two of the the their tournament games. I mean, they they just and then ended up winning each game by five or more points. So it was, uh, uh, you know, just kind of a Jeez. unlikely path to the. Yeah, the championship, the 2013-2014 UConn Huskies, your sports betting college basketball team of the decade. By the way, that's, that doesn't mean they're the team of destiny like Virginia was last year, because I'll still contend that the way UVA won those games last year uh, in the tournament still made them the team of the decade, especially after not not team of the decade, but the team of destiny, especially after how, how they lost to UMBC, uh, 16 seed UMBC the previous year. Team of destiny, but not sports betting team of the decade. That would be 2013-2014 UConn. Let's do college football to wrap it up today. We'll save all the four uh, professional major sports for tomorrow. Blake, what do you got honorable mention in college football? Right, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but uh, this year's LSU team closed at 25-1 to to win the national championship, uh, but obviously a little too early to... Uh, to put them on the list, but they but they'd be in the conversation, and people have them at higher than twenty five to one. I'm sure, in many spots. Maybe yeah, I think they yeah they opened at fifty to one, but they closed it at twenty five to one. Okay. Honorable mention uh, so, besides them, right? Uh, Two thousand thirteen Florida State. They were sixteen to one to win it all before the start of the season, and they were ranked number eleven in the preseason poll. And that's the Jameis Winston Florida State Seminoles of twenty uh, of twenty thirteen who beat Auburn yep. by a field goal in the championship, the BCS championship, right? Jeff, you remember that game? Right, yeah. That, that was Winston to Kelvin Benjamin to win yes. the game at the end of the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy five minutes. There were four lead changes in the final five minutes of the game. Yeah, what, it's, it's really, that game was unbelievable at the end. Um, Seminoles win it 34-31 to 31 over Auburn in 2013. Uh, Florida State got a field goal on their uh, uh, was uh, I want to get the last sequence of that game Um, because in the fourth quarter Florida State scored a touchdown early to make it a one point game after Auburn made a field goal uh, Kermit Whitfield returned the following kickoff 100 yards you remember that to give the Seminoles a three point lead Auburn answers with a touchdown to go up by four with just over a minute remaining and then on their final drive seven plays Florida State as we mentioned with 13 seconds remaining a 49 yard completion to Rashad Green from Jameis and then Jameis to Kelvin Benjamin for the game winner Seminoles uh, what was their peak again in the odds that year? Uh, 16 to one, uh, that was the preseason and they kind of fell throughout the, the season. They didn't go up any higher than that. Okay. Two yard touchdown best to Kelvin Benjamin, excuse me, with 13 seconds left. All right. They're one honorable mention. What's the other honorable mention you got? 
2010 Auburn, they were 50 to one in the preseason. Uh, that was the uh, Cam Newton. Uh, he was the junior transfer, and they were they had a preseason rank of number 22. And what I recall most from that is we just didn't Blake, we just didn't get how good Cam Newton would be, right? Like we just didn't know. We heard about Cam Newton, but we had no clue that he would be that dominant. And that championship game against Oregon which they won by a field goal, in contrast to Florida State. Because Florida State in 2013, before that championship game, they murdered everybody that year, right? They crushed everybody. Whereas Auburn right, had like yeah, and yeah, four field goals, or like four games of a field goal or less that they won. Right, yeah, including the national championship, five of their uh, games were won by three points or less. All right, so 2013 Florida State, 2010 Auburn. Who is the college football betting team of the decade, sir? So I'm giving this one to 2014 Ohio State. Uh, they initially opened up at 10 to 1, but uh, senior QB uh, Braxton Miller, who was a Heisman uh, contender, he uh, injured his shoulder in uh, training camp. So they had to uh, go with uh, redshirt freshman JT Barrett, and they moved all the way up to 40 to 1 before the start of the season. Um, before the start of the uh, the uh, playoff, or no? During the, well, before the start of the season, they were forty to one at their peak. What were they before? Mid- right. Yeah. Okay. So wait, but you so, said Auburn yeah, then, was fifty to one. So why do you give it to Ohio State? Right. So I'm giving it to Ohio State just because uh, even th- throughout the year they were uh, they were never below uh, ten to one. Even entering the uh, the college football playoff, they were fifteen to one. Uh, they they were an underdog even entering the conference championship to Wisconsin. Uh, and they ended up winning that 59 to zero. I like that call. So, I think uh, you're right. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm just giving it to them just because they were, they were never really uh, considered the favorite where Auburn, you know, kind of moved up the ranks. But, I love it. You know, you could have had Ohio state and Ohio state also lost in week two to uh, Virginia tech and they moved. They were That's still right. 40 to one at that point. That's so. right. They lost by two touchdowns to Vatek. And then, of course, the person we're not mentioning here is Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones, who had the three-game spectacular that, remember, led people to say after that, hey, man, like, he could be a top three pick in the draft. Remember how people were like, oh, my God, he could be drafted right at the top. He elected to stay, I believe. Uh, ended up where the Bills camp and the Chargers camp uh, for a while. But they beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship 59 to nothing. And then they were dogs against Bama, beat Bama by a touchdown in a game that wasn't really as close. I mean, they were up by more than that. Uh, Zeke just ran all over Alabama in that game. And then they beat Oregon uh, in the finals. That was more comfortable, 42 to 20. Um, Right. But even then, they were still a five and a half point underdog in that game. Right. Still a dog all the way through the end. I think you're right. That is the college football. Sports betting team of the decade. That's great stuff, Blake. I appreciate it. How about we take a break here? We'll come back tomorrow. We'll do the four uh, major uh, professional sports. We'll do hockey. We'll do baseball. We'll do the NBA and the NFL tomorrow. We're good? We, we, lost, oh, we lost Blake there. I think we lost him for a second. We heard his voice. Oh, there he is. Blake Mahoney from Sports Odds yep. History at SO History. Talk to you tomorrow, Blake, okay? All right. Sounds good. All Thanks. right, man. Thanks so much. Interesting. Uh, We'll come back. We'll uh, put a little more stuff in perspective uh, beyond that with the sports betting teams of the decade. And we'll talk about today's college football games. I guess we're contractually obligated to talk about this dreck, Jeff, coming up today. Right here on a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. 
Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Still plenty of college bowl action left, by the way, this week. The VEASAN College Bowl Guide now available for just $5. Five United States dollars, Jeff. Get stats, trends, and analysis for the remaining games, along with best bets from 10 VEASAN experts, including Pauly Howard, Michael Lombardi, Mitch Moss, Dave Tooley, Matt Humans. Huh, not listed here. Producer number five, Jeff Parlay. What's your record, Jeff? Five and two. Five and two. Hilltoppers get it done this afternoon. We'll clinch it over 500 in that. Yeah, you got the Hilltoppers? I'm in Futac. I'm at collegefootballnews.com because apparently they didn't ask me here. Um, so I'm in uh, that with a bunch of experts uh, throughout the nation who write college football blogs. I'm 13 and 7 ATS. They uh, assign the games to us. Don't forget also in the VEASAN College Bowl Guide, Brent Musburger, Steve Mackinnon, they offer an opinion on every side in total. Find out why it's VEASAN's most popular betting guide. Details at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. That's VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Just $5 now. With uh, four bowl games today, we'll get to those uh, momentarily. I just wanted to comment uh, before we get off the uh, sports betting teams of the decade there. And nice job from Blake Mahoney going through all those all those sports. But there's other things to talk about, clearly, that happened sports betting-wise this decade. And maybe the single most important day of all of them, Jeff, was May 14th, 2018. Um, I was sitting here with producer number three, Jorge Mondaca. May he rest in peace, by the way. Um, Jorge and I were here and we had this thing every morning because we get on the air at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. And because we happened to be on air at that time, that's when the Supreme Court decides to announce decisions on cases that have gotten all the way up to the highest court of this land. And so there are certain days that they have signed on the calendar and we knew that the sports betting case was on the docket or really the case about PASPA. Um, and so there were several dates during January and February and March and April, and we basically had to prepare for two shows that morning, the show we were going to do on a normal day, and then the show that we would have to do if, in fact, the Supreme Court decided, hey, we're ready to announce our decision on this. And May 14th, 2018 was that day uh, where the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 to three decision, which did not really fall on partisan lines, by the way. Uh, that the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA, uh, was unconstitutional. PASPA had been passed in 1992, had served as a blanket prohibition on state-sponsored sports betting, save for a few states, obviously Nevada being one of them, uh, that were grandfathered in under the previous, uh, previous allowances of that. But that was May 14th, 2018, and that has changed the way that we do our shows, the way that we talk about things, because obviously now 20-plus states have some form of, of sports betting going on, or there will only be more added. California, for instance, a big one to drop at some point in the future. But uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, sports betting all over the land. And so when we're here, we're talking about things in New Jersey. We're talking about things in Mississippi, all over the country. Um, so that was that was obviously maybe the single biggest day when it comes to sports betting this decade. I think Leicester City, which we talked about with the Premier League, I think that would, of all the teams in any sport, that's probably the biggest sports betting story of any team, Leicester City, 2015-2016 uh, Premier League, globally speaking. Then there's some other, I mean, then, then the obvious other one here, I think, in this country, and really the thing we got the most mileage out of at any stretch of time here on VEASAN was obviously Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, the odds opened for that fight, uh, Floyd Mayweather was, I think he was a minus 2,500 favorite. 
um, at the Superbook. I want to say it was minus 2,700 here at the South Point. And uh, Conor McGregor was plus 1,100 coming back in both cases. That was at the beginning. And it kept crashing and crashing and crashing. And this is over weeks and months even. And the closer the fight got, we couldn't believe that it kept going down. And I remember having Jimmy Vaccaro on the show and, and saying to him, he's like, what are you waiting for, kid? When are you getting in? I said, I'm waiting for Mayweather to get to minus 500. If he gets to minus 500, I'm in. I remember it dipped to minus 550 there for a second, then jumped back up to minus 600. I was like, ah, maybe I got too greedy. Nope, didn't get too greedy. Got to minus 500, even got into the minus 400s here around town. And offshore, even south of minus 400. Pinnacle, I believe, closed at minus 375 on Floyd Mayweather. And it remains to this day, I said Saturday, uh, being very honest, Saturday was the biggest single betting day of my life this past Saturday. I'm verklempt even talking about it. Uh, but as far as one single event was the most money I've ever bet on one single event, it will always probably remain Floyd, Way- Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And I remember, and it was one of those things where, you, where a lot of people in town would go to a bank and withdraw money, and the teller would say to you, would be like, <laughs> be like, and you would say to them, you'd be like, yeah, I'll have this money back on Monday. Why are you taking all this money? I'll, I'll have it back on Monday. Don't worry. And then when the night of the fight actually got here, and people who were, uh, who were I, mean, I, was at, I was at Teddy Cover's house. Teddy Cover's had a, had a viewing party that night. Shout out to Teddy and his son, the great basketball playing Isaiah. Uh, but we're at Teddy Cover's house. And when you have that much going on an event, and this speaks for so many of us, then when it starts, you start, you're like, okay, this is boxing. What have I done? <laughs> what, what have I gotten myself into? And Conor McGregor for the first three rounds kind of wins. All three of those rounds, and even though you know Floyd could probably figure this out, you got there's a little bit of you was like, what, what's happening here? And then once Floyd figured, you know, once Floyd decided to do his thing, it was over, and in a dominant fashion. But that, I mean, if you talk about Leicester City team of the decade, PASPA that day being the single biggest impactful day, but there will never be anything like Mayweather McGregor again because it was this unbelievable MMA money, the MMA people banking on Connor, and all this Irish money in town. It was an amazing weekend. Jeff, you were leaning in. You want to say something? No, I have, I have nothing to add other than other than that was the that and the Nationals this year probably were the two biggest successes in a way a line came to a position that I liked as well. Well, the Nationals here on a numbers game, we said it. I, I said repeatedly, and I'd never say this about anything else, it was your obligation to bet the Washington Nationals. If you are doing this correctly— Again, there's no guarantees. Could I tell you without, with, with 100% certainty that the Nationals are going to win? Of course not. It's a sporting event. But if you're doing this betting thing correctly, it was your obligation to bet the Nationals time and time again for all the, at all the moments that uh, we outlined here on the show. Um, I'm just trying to think of other things that we hadn't brought up this decade. Obviously, the Vegas Golden Knights, which is closed locally here, right? We'll get to hockey tomorrow. We'll get to baseball tomorrow. I'm not sure if these will be the teams mentioned. But the Vegas Golden Knights didn't get the prize, so they won't be mentioned tomorrow with Blake. But the Golden Knights were famously 500-1 to before their inaugural season to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, they were really good early, and we were kind of like, wow, this is, you know, what a great way to start. First of all, it started under horrible circumstances. It was post the Las Vegas shootings, and the the Knights as an organization couldn't have handled that better uh, with the community of Las Vegas. And they they were beloved instantly in this town. They got off to a great start in hockey. 
Um, and then they just kept, and we were sort of like, wow, this is great, but you know, this can't last. And they just kept winning and winning and winning. They got to the playoffs. They're like, oh, it's not that hard to get to the playoffs in hockey. So, you know, we'll see how far this goes. And they just kept winning and winning. And they got to, <laughs> and they got to the Stanley Cup finals. And I remember saying to people here, I'm like, guys, I've, I've been a lifelong Capitals fan. So they get to the finals against the Caps. I'm sorry. I can't root for you. They get to the finals against the Caps. They win game one against the Caps. 500 to one for people holding tickets. Some people. They're three games away from the Stanley Cup, and then the Capitals just destroyed them. I think 20 goals, if I'm not mistaken, in the next four games against Marc-Andre Fleury. Turns out the Caps were the team of destiny who had waited 44 years for their Stanley Cup, but that could have happened uh, in hockey. That was obviously big. We alluded to UMBC beating Virginia 16-1, to um, but that was UMBC. I mean, with Owen, 16 seeds were 0-135 against number ones before UMBC, the retrievers for those scoring at home, knocked off Virginia. Um, but that was, you know, that was like 20 to 1 before that game. So for one game, that was unbelievable. But we're talking 20 to 1. Keep in mind, again, Leicester City, 5,000 to 1. It was 20 to 1 for one game. Still amazing. And I remember there was somebody who, uh, who had an $800 money line bet on UMBC for that game at CG, 20 to 1 odds, paid out $16,800. William Hill took 134 bets on UMBC before that game, according to ESPN, at 25 to 1, so a little a little higher than that. Largest six were for 100 bucks, though, so 2,500, 2,600 bucks. So the, for one game, that was huge. One thing about that tournament, too, remember everyone was talking about that was going to be the year that the 16 beat the 1 because Penn was really good out of the Ivy, right. and Kansas really just methodically handled them through the game. Yeah, And the, the Virginia game was the last game of the first round, basically, on that Friday night. And I was I was covering Missouri and Florida State in Nashville, and we were watching the game on the television and tied at halftime. All right, all right. Virginia put the clamps on, and then it was pretty obvious in the second half what was going to happen in that UMBC game. It really was. It never really – they never really threatened to come back. It was just, I remember I was about to go out somewhere just watching it in amazement. But that I, you can't stress enough that UVA story, how they lost the previous year, and then the nature of their victories last year on the way to their title. Probably Texas Tech was 75-1 to 1 when I got them. Near miss. Took the final game to overtime last year. Near miss in terms of sports betting teams of the decade. Um, who was that kid for UMBC that was just awesome? Do you remember his name? I'm it was Lyles. 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 I forget his first name. A commuter school between D.C. and uh, Baltimore. Actually, closer to Baltimore. Uh, Un- University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, what else? I guess Tiger winning the Masters has to be mentioned. But it's like his odds sucked the whole time. If we're going sports moments of the decade, yeah, sure. But not, but not sports, sports betting, betting though. Yeah. No. They may remember everybody wanted to talk about this dude who made that uh, that $85,000 bet to win $1.19 million. Um, I can't remember which shop that was. That was Will Hill. Will Hill, too. But everyone was, like, lauding him. I was like, that's the worst bet ever. Good for him that he won it, but good Lord. But, yeah, not a sports betting moment. Um, and then, uh, what am I forgetting? First day ever at VEASAN, Patriots, Falcons, Super Bowl. Patriots trailed 28 to 3 at 28 to 9. I don't know what it was at 28 to 3, but at 28 to 9 it was 16 to 1 on the Patriots and people were banging it. Pounding it at 16 to 1. 
Not a good day for the books. Patriots ended up covering the pre-flop, the pre-flop line in overtime. Just what a day that was. Uh, and then I guess uh, a day that I don't like to talk about. Cavaliers coming back from a 3-1 to deficit against the Warriors in 2016. Warriors had two home games, their 73-win season. Uh, Cavaliers were plus 11.50 to come back from the 3-1 to deficit. Plus 11.50 went down 3-1. to So some other moments that need to be mentioned from the decade. Individual game that my dad just mentioned to me. Remember last year, first round of the playoffs in the NBA when Golden State was up by 30 in the first half against the Clippers? Oh, my God. And yes. that was, uh, I, believe, I believe it was 1,500 or, or 150 to 1. I don't remember. I got to double check. We got to check on that. That was but, a moment. But that was too. another one, too. That was yeah. a 30-point game with a team that was pre-flop, I think, a 13-and-a-half-point dog as it was. That can, that's unbelievable that that happened. <laughs> It just And it was a game that, that ultimately just sort of washes away. But, yes, that happened. So we got to check on what the number is. But, anyway, we'll, tomorrow we'll get Blake back. We'll do his team of the decade in hockey. Uh, maybe it's the ones we mentioned. Well, Golden Knights didn't win it, so it couldn't be the one we mentioned. Uh, I think I know what the hockey one is. Uh, baseball, which will be interesting. NFL and NBA. We'll do that tomorrow uh, with Blake as we continue with the sports betting teams of the decade right here exclusively on a numbers game at VEASAN, the sports betting network. Uh, it's Gil Alexander. Jeff Parlay, producer number five, is here as well. Uh, so a lot of audio problems this morning on the show uh, being reported back, and uh, we are aware of those. But what I want to do as a result of those audio problems, and hopefully we can find the audio and put it in podcast form. I can't make any promises, but hopefully we can get that at the Beating the Book podcast. For our sports uh, betting teams of the decade. So a lot of people ended up missing uh, what was a lot of work going into the sports and the research for the teams that got to the championship or won the championship rather with the longest odds, either before the season started or during the season. So for those folks who missed some of those, Jeff, let me just recap what we did today. Yesterday, I think everybody got uh, horses, golf, tennis. Maybe we should talk about some of those. Well, no, we'll try to put those in podcasts. Some of those tennis ones, honestly, I think most people don't even remember like the late, the uh, female tennis players, the women's tennis players, who were on that list were probably like not recognizable to some people. Flavia Panetta, no anybody? <laughs> that doesn't doesn't ring a bell. That doesn't ring a bell for anybody. Um, so that was uh, that was certainly interesting. Um, but as far as what was done today and what uh, actually for, for folks who missed that, by the way, the tennis players. I just want to get these. Uh, straight yesterday because yesterday it was horses it was golf it was tennis it was premier league uh, it was college hoops and it was college football the uh the women's tennis players that made the list marion bartoli 100 to 1 to win the 2013 uh wimbledon slam uh third slam of of that year of course flavia panetta 150 to 1 to win the 2015 u.s open so those are the most obscure names on, on all, in any sport but as far as today if you missed it uh we started with hockey the honorable mentions were the 2015-2016 Penguins, uh, who were, I get 18, 15, and 4 at one point during that year. Slow start. That's what they were on New Year's Day. They were plus 650 entering the playoffs. Um, but the preseason, they were 13 to 1. So they were an honorable mention. We have these on the screen at VEASAN.com and the VEASAN app. 2011-2012 Kings, who were 16 to 1 during the preseason, but had the highest pre-playoff odds of any Stanley Cup champ this decade at 22 to 1. And again, that was a team that was in 10th place in the Western Conference 
with one month remaining in the year. And then finally, Jonathan Quick's goaltending and great defense on that team was complemented by all of a sudden the offensive surge they'd been looking for all year. But the NHL team of the decade, no surprise there, was this past year's St. Louis Blues closing the preseason at 30-1. to Midseason odds as high as 250-1 to on January 10th. And, of course, we had Scott Berry on the show. We talked about all these guys who had these outrageous Blues tickets from right around their na- the nadir, their low point of that season. So no surprise on the hockey pick. How did you feel about the baseball pick, Jeff? Because the honorable mentions were all three Giants teams, 2010, 2012, 2014. We went through all the reasons for those. The 2015 Royals, this past year's Washington Nationals in 2019, but the baseball sports betting team of the decade, the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, we talked about game six. By the way, the Cardinals, as we point out here at VEASAN.com, the VEASAN app, on August 25th, they were 10 and a half games behind Atlanta for the wild card. September 1st, they were 200 to 1 to win the World Series. Such a, that's a great call by Blake Mahoney at sportsoddshistory.com. Great call. You were at that game six parlay? I was. Wow. And I, I contend, and maybe I'm wrong, like of all the great sporting events of this decade, would you agree that that is one of the ones that people seem to never mention? Well, it was for it, that was the 2011 and the 2015 World Series are kind of the two that just get lost. In the shuffle, I don't know why that ended up being the case because 2011 was an unbelievable seven-game series that featured a Pujols three-homer game that featured that great game six. That game six, we were talking about it during one of the breaks before. It was so sloppy early in the game. Yes, freeze dropped the pop-up that scored a run for Texas. <laughs> That's uh, right, they, they, did. There was there were there were multiple just terrible defensive plays throughout early in that game, and and I'll and I'll stick with this. And my dad was at the game too, and he and I. And we'll always be uh, always be hand in hand in this one. The biggest mistake of that game was Ron was made by Ron Washington, and it cost him a championship. Leaving Nelson Cruz in the game in right field instead of putting Andy Chavez in for defense in the ninth inning of Game Six, it cost the Texas Rangers a World Series because Andy Chavez makes that play on the freeze triple probably 99 out of 100 times. Cruz was never a good outfielder. He got to the ball and alligator armed it. And, and it cost him a World Series in the end. <clears throat> and also that game, that game six, the Hamilton hit the homer in the top of the 10th inning, and the Cardinals had to come back and get two in the bottom of the 10th also. Yeah, Unbelievable I mean, game. The Cardinals, and we went through what happened there in the 9th, 10th, and 11th, but the Cardinals set two records in that game six win. First team to come back twice from deficits in both the 9th and 10th innings, and the first team to score in the 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th. And that, of course, was the sh- remember the shot over Nelson Cruz. You think Nelson Cruz misplayed that ball in right field? He got there. He alligator armed it. Yeah, alligator armed it. Amazing. That was the two out, two strike, ninth inning triple from David Freeze, who, of course, then ended up winning it two innings later in the eleventh. Just an amazing one. Uh, then we talked about the NBA honorable mentions in the NBA, and I think this was a good list too. I think he's right about this. Honorable mention in the NBA, the 2014-2015 Golden State Warriors. That was the first of the Warriors championships this decade. Andre Iguodala, your finals MVP. Steph Curry, your MVP for the season. Uh, they were seven, uh, 67-15 and 15 that year. Had lost to the Clippers in round one the previous season. I can't tell you enough, again, how the Bay Area lost their minds when they had traded Monte Ellis before that for Andrew Bogut. Bogut was a part of that championship team. So they were one of the honorable mentions uh, 28 to one that preseason. I remember Dr. Bob was all over them that year as well at 28 to one. 
Uh, Toronto Raptors this past year, plus 1850 in the preseason. And again, that as much as we remember the, the win over the Warriors in the finals, the Warriors just a mash unit at that point. It was really that Game 7 win over Philly. And that ball that uh, Kawhi shot that seemed to shift in midair and bounced off the rim four times with a Game 7 win. Uh, and then, but the NBA team of the decade, and I think he's right about this, the 2010-2011 Dallas Mavericks. Like, we forget. First of all, we forget that that was even this decade, right? But we forget as we, as we close it out. We forget that Dallas, 20 to 1 in the preseason, they were 57 and 25. And despite that, they were a third seed in the West. They flew under the radar uh, throughout the season, 12 to 1 to 18 to 1 most of the season, as, as Blake points out. But 18 to 1 entering the playoffs. And that finals against the Miami Heat. It was the first year of LeBron. And people really, there was a lot of LeBron hate back then after the decision and the way that that was handled. Um, but the Mavs, as I mentioned, they were down they were down 14 with seven minutes plus left in that game. Uh, they roared back. That was a team with Dirk, obviously, Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, J.J. Barea. That was just an unbelievable team. You'd agree with that selection, Jeff? I would. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It has to be because that Mav team, I, of all the good Mav teams through the uh, the first decade of this millennium, that this was the one that won the title was kind of backwards because, of course, the 67-win team that was probably the best, one of the best regular season teams I've ever seen that got stunned by the We Believe Warriors. That was the one where we all thought, oh, Dallas missed the window. And then they come back. They were three. They, were three, they, were, uh, they beat Oklahoma City, I believe, in the Western Conference Finals that year before OKC was really OKC. And you mentioned it before. That was a double-digit game with six minutes to go in Game Two against Miami. With Miami about to go two up two nothing, and the series would have been over yeah. if they don't blow Game Two and the the comeback. And then I I remember all I remember about Game Six. It was apparent it was over when Jan Mahimi made three straight shots to begin the fourth quarter. And then as soon as that happens, you're like, well, it's time to pack it up for Miami. By the way, heat up 15. I, I aired. Heat up 15 with 7-14 left in that game and stormed back game two. Ended up winning the uh, series in six games. Uh, they were down two games to one and then won three straight. Uh, two at Dallas, one at Miami by 10 to close it out. Joe, Jason Jet Terry, don't want to forget about him. He was he was awesome in that series. He cogged to that. By the way, for those who are listening on Sirius XM, you're like, didn't you guys talk about this earlier? Um, we are rehashing it because there's a whole network of our audience that didn't hear it, and uh, we wanted to actually clarify some of these because we, we had to rush through it the first time around. But a lot of our audience didn't get to hear it, and we want to put this in podcast form as well. Finally, the NFL. Let's just talk about that real quick here, uh, Jeff. Uh, 2012 Ravens honorable mention. That was the uh, Ravens team that were crushing Colin Kaepernick and the uh, the Niners in that Super Bowl, and they were doing so uh, to the tune of 28 to six. And then that delay came. Right, conspiracy theorists love that game. Where it's like everybody turn off the lights. We don't like the betting outcome. It's conspiracy theorists talking. I had Baltimore that day. Um, loved Colin Kaepernick's team in the NFC playoffs, but loved Baltimore that day. They got it done. That's an honorable mention team. Ray Lewis, by the way, at that point, remember in 2012, he was an original Raven, and he had played on the first Ravens Super Bowl team. And he was retiring at the end of that game, and that's how he went out. Uh, great for him. Uh, the other honorable mention, the 2017 Eagles, which are very recent in our minds. They were 40-1 to 1 at their height uh, in the preseason, obviously uh, beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl behind Nick Foles. Remember, Carson Wentz tore his ACL in Week 14 against the Rams. 
had a 13 and 3 record. They had the number one seed, um, but they were 15 and one, 15 to one to win it all, entering the playoffs. 15 to one, the Eagles got it done. But the NFL team of the decade, the 2011 New York Giants. So not the team that beat the, the Patriots team that was trying to be undefeated. That was way back in, 20, in 2007. 2007, the Patriots were 18-0 when the Giants beat them. But in 2011, the Giants were 22-1 uh, in the preseason, got as high as 66-1 when they were 6-5 midseason. 66-1. They dropped to 50-1 when they were 6-6 six and six in, uh, heading into Week 13. I know that's counterintuitive, but it was 66 to 1 at their peak. Then after they lost, they were actually 50 to 1. They beat the Cowboys week 17 to win the NFC East, entered the playoffs at 22 to 1 as a four seed, beat the Packers. That wasn't the Tom Coughlin red face game. That was back in 2007, I believe, too. Uh, but they beat the Packers at Lambeau, division round by 17 as eight point dogs. Then they beat the Niners in San Francisco as two point dogs. And then. Again, they were down 17 to 15 with less than four minutes left. They're pinned back. That pass from Eli Manning to Mario Manningham, you should go back and look at it. That was just, it was everything on a first and 10, but it just lodged in between the corner and the safety. An amazing pass, and that's what led the final game winning drive. 21 17 Giants win it. That, by betting numbers, the NFL sports betting team of the decade. You like that choice, Jeff? Absolutely. Yep. The, the, I will say the, the only bad team to win a championship this decade was the 2011 New York Giants. Yeah. That was the only bad team to win, like the 2006 Cardinals, which might be the worst team in the history of I, professional sports. It's funny you bring that to up. To win a champion. I always call them that. The were, 2006 Cardinals, to me, I was, what are they, like 80? 183 games. Yeah, 83. They were horrible. 79. And uh, yeah. of course, they it mean, happens in baseball. Yeah, it can happen in baseball because you get hot at the right time. And it's hard to do it in football because just usually the gap between the elite teams and the not so good teams in the postseason is just so big. But look, the, the Giants had Green Bay's number those two postseason runs. That was the 15 1 Green Bay team they beat in 2011, too. And that game was not close. That was a destruction that the Giants put on Green Bay at Lambeau that day. And they, they're the only team to really have Belichick and Brady's number through yep. this whole run, which is amazing that it was Tom Coughlin, who was a really good football coach, and Eli Manning, who might be the biggest lightning rod of a Hall of Fame discussion there is at well, this point. It's the NFC East, right? Philadelphia yeah. did as well. Um, but Leicester City, the global sports team of the decade, 5,001, the 2015-2016 Leicester City team that uh, just really flirted with relegation the previous year and uh, caught fire. 5,001 causing uh, William Hill UK to never to say, we'll never put up anything above uh, 1,001 or longer odds than 1,001 after that experience. Cash out options all available. They won the Premier League with 81 points that year. Leicester City, the sports betting global team of the decade. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up. We don't offer repeat segments here, but uh, for the audience that didn't get to hear that one, we wanted to wrap it up. We'll put it in podcast form for anybody who did At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.